Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Manufacts and Perspectives in Eisner Amper's podcast series. I'm your host, Travis Epp, partner in charge of our manufacturing and distribution group. And this series will feature prominent leaders in the cannabis and hemp, consumer products, logistics and transportation, and food and beverage industries who will share their outlook and perspectives in these areas. With me today is Milt Kahn, COO of DAC Group, a middle market investment banking firm. As you are aware, the mergers and acquisitions market is extremely hot and there are significant funds available for investors to invest in target companies. Milt, my initial question for you from your perspective as an investment banker, can you give us guidance on the current manufacturing and distribution environment? Sure, I'd be happy to. First, thanks so much for, for having me uh, on this podcast. You know, from a mergers and acquisition perspective, manufacturing and distribution environment, as far as you know, the deal flow is, uh, if I use one word, it's called robust. The EBITDA multiples are high as far as what the market is paying. Cost of money is still extremely low. There's a high demand for great businesses. There's also a high supply. There are a lot of businesses available for sale. And that high supply allows private equity and other investors to be you know, more selective. With the recent supply chain challenges, the U.S. manufacturing and distribution companies are in more demand today than they were uh, even just a few years ago. So, Milt, you indicated there's a lot of companies that are interested in possibly selling their businesses. Who are the current sellers in the marketplace that you are seeing? What we're seeing, since we're dealing, in, you know, in the middle market, are baby boomers who are operating either businesses that they began. In some cases, it's second generation businesses, and there's some third and even, believe it or not, fourth generation businesses that are are currently exploring, you know, going to market or are in market. The COVID uh, situation has really worn out a lot of the baby boomers. They do not want to go through it again. They are ready to accept pricing that is out there. They're accepting it a lot easier than they did pre-COVID. Uh, they're just tired and 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 want want to either retire or slow down. Most of these businesses do not have next generation that either wants to be involved in the business on a long-term basis, or the current senior members of the family believe that the junior members of the family are not capable. So they don't want to risk a family fortune and they would rather bring the companies to market and cash out. And so the family has the, you know, the liquid net worth to invest a little bit differently. Also, what we've seen in, in general is that the average age of the business owner that wants to sell has, has gone down. It used to be you know, people started their business, kept it, and a lot of them kept it until, until they died. People just aren't doing that anymore. And also a lot of more young people are selling their businesses earlier because they are interested in doing something else or having a challenge of building up another business. 
Milt, my observations are very consistent with what you've just expressed. The term I would use is also fatigue. A lot of these middle market companies have had to face so many issues in the last couple of years. As you mentioned, COVID came along, the supply chain challenges, the challenges in getting raw materials, getting container ships, the price increases, the recent inflation, the tax uncertainties. It's just a significant challenge. It's just a significant challenge for middle market businesses. And I think they're just ready for that next step. So as we prepare for the other side of the equation, who are you seeing as a buyer in today's marketplace? From our experience, pre-COVID, the majority of the transactions, buyers were strategic, both U.S. and foreign. Currently, which let's call it the post-COVID, I hope, that has switched where uh, the majority now we see are private equity groups, PE groups. They are looking for platform acquisitions, which are typically the larger transactions. And once they complete their platform acquisition, they're looking for a smaller add-on transaction. So the market is right both for the larger businesses and the not-so-large businesses. Milt, I was at a presentation yesterday by one of my colleagues, Tony Minifor, who leads our private equity group. And in his commentary, it was, again, consistent with, with what you have said. The amount of money that private equity funds have been able to raise and have available for investment is significant. And that will definitely impact uh, who the buyers are of these, of these companies for sale. So as a company considers selling itself, what are the obstacles that are generally presented to a selling company? The one thing business owners need to understand is that, you know, especially in the PE world, the work involved in successfully completing a small transaction is the same as, as a large transaction. So the PE groups are leaning more towards the larger transactions. The obstacles today, a lot of you, you mentioned a few minutes ago, the supply chain, transportation issues, getting materials or goods, the cost of the materials and the goods, and also the, the hot topic today is employees. You know, attracting uh, new employees, retaining current uh, employees is, is just challenging and you just have to do business differently today than you did in the past. But those are, those are the basic obstacles today. Milt, I'm glad you highlighted the issue that is so important to the manufacturing distribution industry is the availability of employees and the resource challenges that many middle market businesses have. Can you indicate how this may impact some of the like issues that arise during a transaction? For example, one concern may be key employees continuing on through the business. So could you address that, please? Absolutely. You know, some of the, the, the real life issues that, that we face, and most of these issues, we do our due diligence up front and ask the questions. Sometimes we get fooled on, on deals. Having employees is one thing. Having legal employees 
is another. And especially in the New Jersey manufacturing, there are many employees who appear to be legal and aren't. And employers, as a general rule, feel as long as they you know, get a social security number, which they feel is valid, and they get an IA-9 filled out, that they're covered. And I guess legally they are. But what happens during due diligence is that the buyer will do substantial due diligence on that topic. And it's very easy to find out with technology today, which employees are legal and which ones are not. And we've faced a couple of situations in recent years where deals just get put on hold because of that issue. One of the other real life concerns is customer concentration. What I've always noticed is the companies that have the highest customer concentration are usually the most profitable. Yet on due diligence and as as the deal progresses, it becomes more and more of a concern, especially of private equity groups who are worried about losing that one customer. The business owner's used to it. They don't lose sleep over it because of the relationships. But somebody new coming in is very, very much concerned with customer concentration. Those businesses that don't have the concentration, easier to make a deal. Just like customer concentration, supply chain, vendor concentration uh, can be a concern. Any distribution company who relies on, you know, over the past year of their livelihood was importing merchandise from China or the East, they have issues. And during due diligence, that is looked at very, very closely by the buyer. One area that most people are surprised, especially for the larger companies that get looked at during the due diligence process, is the IT controls and uh, cybersecurity concerns. One of the areas that businesses who are looking to sell should really look at is their IT systems, their uh, security controls, and if necessary, you know, have cyber audits or cybersecurity assessments, IT assessments. Uh, perform to make sure they're ahead of it, ahead of the problem and solve the problem before due diligence hits. Another area of equal concern is tax planning. No matter how many times we ask our prospective clients, is your estate planning done? Have you done the gifting? Have you used GRATS or, or whatever other mechanisms are available out there? Initially, they say, oh yeah, I've dealt with that and many times during the process when owners finally realize how much money they're going to receive, all of a sudden tax planning and estate planning becomes important to them where they didn't really pay as much attention to it beforehand. The planning must be done before an offer is made. Once an offer is made, it's very, very difficult to, to do any sophisticated planning. Also, one of the areas that is concerning to buyers, it comes about when we have our management meetings, when our client meets the prospective buyer. I use, use the term, you know, the me or I versus we type person and organization. And the business owners that respond to everything, it's me, you know, I and not use the we are really telling the prospective buyer that they don't have a great management team. And as you mentioned before, Travis, having a great management team and having the business owner not uh, be as important to the business is a real deal maker. Uh, Not having that can be a, a real deal killer. 
Milt, thank you for those comments. Two other observations I would like to make from my experience are, I've seen it before where an entity that's looking forward to selling its business will interview various investment banking firms and the one they choose is the one that gives them the highest selling price, even though that may not be realistic. So that's just one thing that I would suggest that prospective sellers be aware of. They should be realistic in what the potential selling price may be. I absolutely agree with that. One of the things that we require is that we are aligned on that topic with our prospective client. If we are not aligned, then we just don't take the transaction on. It's that simple. A second area I would like to highlight is we have the fortune of seeing companies that have been very successful over a number of years and have grown their business operations so that their their business is across the country as well as internationally. However, in times of a transaction, one thing that a potential seller we always advise is be aware of what your nexus footprint is. Be prepared to address any state and local tax issues that may come up during diligence because if they come up at that time, there will likely be delays or impediments in closing the transaction. So that's an example of one leading cause of a deal failure. Are there other examples of deal failures that you might like to highlight, Milt? The due diligence process is, it's a, it's a big concern for a lot of business owners. And the reason for it is they don't really understand the process and they're not prepared for the process. It's, it, it can become overwhelming and upsetting uh, to, the, to the business owners because due diligence is a very detailed, cumbersome process. And you know, one of the frustrations that the business owners have, I call it the Columbo syndrome. For those who remember the show Columbo, Peter Falk was a, was a detective and you know, he always said, ah, I have one more question. And then they would answer that. And then they say, I have one more question. That just kept going and going. And that's what happens during due diligence. And you have to be prepared for it and control your emotions to, to actually deal, deal with that. Um, one of the other causes of failure or for, uh, you know, deals such, just to drag on is not having complete and accurate financial information. Um, you know, having audited financial statements for multiple years prior to a sale by a, you know, a reputable and recognized CPA firm, I can't tell you how valuable that is to, you know, set the tone right at the beginning of negotiations. Uh, it, it, it's just very different than, uh, having, uh, financial statements that are, that are not, not audited. Um, one of the reports that have become that's become very popular you know is the quality of earnings report typically these quality of earning reports were uh, a requirement by uh, the buyer they're called buy side uh, quality of earnings uh, and what's happening more and more is the sellers of the business are having quality of earnings reports prepared before they go to market so they uh, they they set the you know the proper expectations of, of of what's going to happen as far as deal pricing and the uh, you know and and what what's going to be required during uh, due diligence. Uh, 
The two major causes of deal failure, though, would be, number one, time. And all I can say is just look back in recent times, as far back as 9-11, any deal that you know didn't close by September 10th. And in that year, uh, more than likely was put on hold or, or uh, did not occur. And that was strictly a time consideration. And looking more recently at COVID, uh, the deals that you know, closed before COVID, people were very happy. And there are a number of deals that fell through because of market changes and, and, de- and demand for uh, the, the product uh, you know, that was manufactured or dis- distributed. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, time, time is not, <laughs> waiting is usually not, not a good thing. Uh, so I, I, w- I would suggest that you know, once people are involved in a deal, they make it a priority and and get it done. Uh, on the other hand, sometimes time will help uh, a deal. Uh, a new a new uh, a new customer is retained, uh, profits uh, go up. Uh, so uh, time can be to an advantage, but most of the most of the time it's not. And then the biggest cause of failure is greed. Uh, people, uh, I know many times we will, will tell a client, you know, we'll give them our opinion on what their business is worth. And if we do, if we do our job right and the market conditions cooperate, the price uh, many times is higher. Uh, Yet there are always individuals and business owners who get greedy and think they can push and push, and they don't realize or believe that uh, the buyers, especially the private equity groups, no matter how much money they invest in getting a transaction done, they don't have to do the deal. And at some point, enough's enough, and they have to make a decision. So getting greedy is problem with many and those who, uh, uh, you know, will be, are fair, get the deals done. The ones that are greedy generally fail. In closing, I would like to thank Milk Khan, COO of that group for joining us today. As illustrated, there are many complexities and consideration in closing a transaction. And thank you for listening to the inaugural episode of Manufacts and Perspectives in Eisner Amper's podcast series.